Part 1 Chapter 1 The woman held the razor to the baby's throat. Give me the preacher! She screamed again. Blake heard her from the back of the patrol car as it came to a stop, and the answering reply. He's coming, amplified by a bullhorn. The world outside the police cruiser was chaos. Police crouching behind cars, snipers in hiding waiting for a chance to take a shot, bystanders watching the show from behind barricades. Do you need a moment to pray or something, Reverend? The young cop driving asked. He looked young enough to be his daughter's age, though Bethany was only 15. Ten minutes ago, he'd been home putting the finishing touches on the next day's sermon, hoping his daughter would be home soon, as usual, worrying about her. Then the knock came at the door. No, he said. Let's go. Exiting the car, he felt the eyes of the crowd on him, and, for a moment, sensed what Jesus must have felt entering Jerusalem on a simple mule. Two plainclothes officers approached him. Frank, he said, acknowledging the one he knew. The other cop, holding the bullhorn, stepped forward. I'm Captain Alan Guthrie. Thank you for coming, Reverend Hardesty. What's going on? Hardesty asked. It seemed like as many cars as the Islandside police force owned were here, cordoning off this section of the street. I believe she's a member of your church, Guthrie said. Margaret Haas. Brief him, Frank. Frank Torrance stepped forward. She took the neighbor's baby son out of his stroller while the mother was inside for a minute. She's been asking for you. How old's the child? Three months, Guthrie said. Reverend, if she's a member of your church, maybe she said something or given you some indication she was going to pull something like this? No. It's just that we all know her down at the station. She phones the station once a week with her stories about Satanists trying to get her. She's a good woman, Blake said. Just troubled. She's had a lot of hardship in her life. Is he here yet? They heard her scream, and from this distance, the baby looked like a doll crooked in the woman's arm. Guthrie lifted the bullhorn. He's here, Mrs. Haas. Send him in here. Guthrie started to respond, but Blake cut him off. It's all right. I'll go. No way, Reverend, the captain said. We can't allow that. Is Kenny in there with her? We think so, Torrance said. If she hasn't killed him, Guthrie growled. She wouldn't hurt him, Blake said. Kenny was her handicapped son. Where's her husband? We don't know. Blake nodded. Let's go then. Damn it, I said no. If I'm going to talk to her, it has to be in private. This isn't confession, Reverend. She might have a gun in there. Even if she doesn't, she's still extremely dangerous. To you and her hostage. I've got enough trouble. Get him in here now! Margaret Hawes raised her prisoner above her head and seemed about to dash the baby to the ground. People in the crowd gasped and pointed. Then she relented, still holding the razor blade close. What would you rather do? Hardesty asked. Wait until she's killed him, then move in? If I talk to her, inside, alone, maybe I can convince her to give the baby to me. 
After a moment, Guthrie sighed. All right. See what you can do. Stall her. Distract her. Give the snipers a chance to line up a good shot. If she ends up giving you the baby, she'll be distracted. No shooting. What? No shooting, Captain, or I won't do it. Guthrie stared at him. Then down, he shrugged. Stay out here. She's a member of your church, but she's nothing to me. Whatever I have to do to save that baby, I'll do it, and I'll sleep fine tonight. You can stay or you can go in, but either way, my sniper's orders stand. The two stared at each other. I just don't want anyone to get hurt, Blake said finally. Neither do I. That includes you. The captain extended the bullhorn. Hardesty took it and faced the house, catching sight of the crowd. The look in their eyes now more like Romans watching as the Christians were about to be fed to the lions. He raised the instrument to his mouth. It's me, Margaret. Reverend Hardesty. I'm coming in. Hurry! She shouted back. I'm not sure how much longer I can hold out. He gave the horn back to the captain, then turned to Torrance. Walk with me part of the way, Frank. The air was stifling as the two men advanced. How's Martha? Blake asked, referring to the other man's wife. She's fine. And your daughter? She's fine, too. I haven't seen you church lately. We've been busy. You found another church, I know. You're not the only one. You'd better stop here. They stood not far from the open doorway. Margaret Haas had moved back out of view. Have you noticed the baby's not making a sound? Blake asked. Yeah, we've noticed. If I pull this off, maybe you'll consider coming back. Blake felt Frank pat him on the shoulder, then move away. For a moment, he did not move. He may have sounded flippant with the detective, but only because he was scared shitless. They didn't teach you how to deal with this in seminary. He was sweating freely, his hands slick and useless. Was it possible he could have foreseen her doing something like this? He was about to take a step when he thought he caught movement in the periphery of his vision, felt a touch on his shoulder. The touch of God, maybe, giving him his blessing. Or maybe it was Barbara, his dead wife waiting for him to join her on the other side if he screwed this up. Reverend? Margaret had returned to the doorway, the baby cradled in her arms, wrapped so tightly in the blanket Blake couldn't see him clearly. For the moment, she seemed vulnerable and very needy. If he backed up, would she follow him out, eyes on him, hand him the baby while giving the snipers a clear shot? He moved forward, and she gave him room to enter. Once inside, Hardesty found one of his worst fears confirmed. Margaret Haas's husband sat in his favorite easy chair facing the TV. For all intents and purposes, he could have been watching one of the television evangelists his wife loved so much, if not for the knife sticking out of his right eye. His good eye was open and still showed the surprise the man must have felt before his wife killed him. Her son sat in his wheelchair, not moving, not talking, staring straight ahead as he'd been doing for most of his 28 years of life. His mother still held the razor above the bundle she carried, the bundle showing no telltale rustle of cloth, no sign of movement. 
Margaret, the minister said, trying not to sound accusatory. You're going to tell me I should give myself up? She said. Her eyes slits, her breathing heavy, the razor blade ready. Margaret Haas, who claimed to love God with all her heart and soul. I'm here for you. What else should Blake say? He was playing it by ear, depending on inspiration, divine or otherwise. Had she heard him? She nuzzled the baby, who still didn't move. But shouldn't he be? Shouldn't he be crying, screaming? Blake didn't want to think why the baby wasn't, why she was making such an obvious effort to prevent Blake from seeing him. Let me look at him, Hardesty said, chancing a step toward her. Why? So I know he's okay. Then we can talk. I'm tired of talking, she said. Everybody's always talking. Take your pills, Margaret. Remember what the doctor said, Margaret. Rest. Stay calm. Everything's going to be all right. But it never is. And nobody ever listens. I flush the pills down the toilet. Two a day when my husband thinks I'm taking them. I watch them go around and around and away. Let the alligators in the sewers have them. I need a clear head. Blake's hand went to the small silver cross he wore around his neck. The last gift his wife had given him before she died. Why did you ask him to bring me here? She brought her face down to the tiny form, the razor blade at her side for the moment, where a braver man than he might have made a grab for it. I used to hold Kenny like this, she said. When he was little, tried to make him smile. He never smiled, never made a sound. Even then, God was preparing him. He'd heard variations on this theme before. Her mood changed as quickly as it took for her to bring the razor up again, shaking it as she would a fist her lip curling into something grotesque. I wanted you to see what they've done to him, to my Kenny. Who's they? Blake said, though he knew the answer. The Satanists, as she always claimed. They're hurting him again, just because he's different. Tears streamed down her face. God's chosen one, made to bear our sins. I would have come if you'd asked, Margaret. You know that. You didn't have to do this. Not just you, everyone. I want everyone to see what's been done to my son. She talked about the Satanists a lot. The Satanists who she said were coming after her, though none had ever been identified. The Satanists who were coming after her son because he was the only one who could recognize them. The only one who could stop them. When the time was right, she claimed, her son, Kenny, who hadn't spoken or barely moved in 28 years, would rise up and smite them and anyone who blasphemed God. This was what she was waiting for. This was her purpose for living. Until that day arrived, she had to protect him. Blake wasn't sure how he felt about this poor, disillusioned woman who had created this elaborate fantasy to justify her son's extreme handicap. Sometimes he envied her passion, her desire, stronger than anyone else's in his congregation, who mostly watched with blank stares every Sunday as he preached his sermon. But she was living a lie, fabricated to help her accept a son who could not reciprocate the love she so willingly gave and so desperately desired from both him and a husband who was pulling further and further away from her. She'd drive me crazy with her talk, Reverend. He remembered her husband, Bill, telling him one rainy afternoon in the minister's office at the downtown 7th Street Disciples Church Blake Hardesty served. I don't think she's giving Kenny his medicine the way he's supposed to be getting it. 
Not that I know how to talk to a son who don't know how to talk back. But she does, or claims she does. Claims he answers her too, though I never hear him. It's like they got something going on between them the rest of us ain't allowed to see. But Reverend, I tell you, there's nothing there. The boy's mind's as blank as a new chalkboard. Forgive me for saying so. All those people saying hi to him at church, they're just doing that to please Margaret. He hasn't talked or barely moved since he was a baby. If it was up to me, they'd put him away. That's what's best for him. And for us. Do you know this is the third house we've lived in in the past four years? We keep moving because the Satanists keep finding us, you see. They're after us because of our son. That's what she says. But that boy does nothing more than eating shit in his diapers all day. Go look at him, Reverend. Margaret now said, breaking through his thoughts, her voice low, the bundle now resting on her hip. Margaret, look at what they've done. Kenny did not register his approach. A narrow face, impassive eyes, slack jaw, a faint odor of wet diaper. He had a thin frame to go with the thin arms and legs. His upper torso was twisted in the chair, his legs bent against the leg rest. Except for an occasional blink of the eyes. He did not move. Look at his nose. Hardest he had been through this ritual with her before. They're using their spell on him to change it, she declared. It's gotten bigger. He used to have such a beautiful nose, so delicate. He gets nosebleeds regularly now, she stated. His teeth are still moving, too. Look, look. Carefully, he opened the handicapped man's mouth. And his ribcage, it's shifting. He developed scoliosis when he was 10, a side effect of his cerebral palsy. How can they do that to such a beautiful boy? The minister heard her mutter something under her breath. A prayer, perhaps. What am I doing? Surveying the room, Blake saw Kenny, silent and oblivious. His father, dead and bloody. His mother, eyes glazed, rocking back and forth. The baby hidden among the blankets as unmoving now as it had been when the preacher entered, because the child was dead. She'd killed it right away, then held off the entire Allentown police force with a corpse. Too late. They were all too late. How much longer before Captain Guthrie got tired of waiting and ordered the police to move in? While well, he stood here doing nothing. Blake took a step forward. Give me the child, Margaret. I promise I'll do everything I can for you. But you have to give him to me now. No. She stepped back, holding her captive close. I don't want to hurt him, Reverend. You can't, Margaret. He whispered. He's already dead. The look on her face confirmed his fear. He extended a hand. I can still help you, if you come out with me now. No, she insisted. The razor blade remained ready to strike. Come on, Margaret, he said, advancing on her slowly. Let me have him. Give this whole thing up. She kept shaking her head. You don't understand. Margaret, it's more than just the way they torture him. They've changed him, turned him into something else. I thought God would protect him, but I was wrong. God has abandoned us. Blake was close. All he had to do was reach out. The sound from one of the back bedrooms stopped him, piercing through the moment. The sound of a baby crying. Margaret let the bundle fall. Hardest he reached for it, almost catching it before the wrapped form came loose from the blankets and hit the floor. A doll, a plastic doll. 
staring up at him with painted eyes. The baby in the back room screamed louder. Kenny, no! He heard. Looking up, he saw Margaret Haas staring past him. Not now, please, not now! Reverend, look what they've done to my son! Blake turned to look behind him and saw the wheelchair. The empty wheelchair. He swung around the room once, quickly, and saw something in the farthest corner of the room, something that was moving, shifting. Kenny Haas, but with eyes that seemed to burn like charcoal. Later, Hardesty would look back and still not be sure what he saw or even explain what happened exactly. Kenny, who had never walked in his 28 years, coming at him much too fast, Hardesty twisting his body away from the onslaught as something sharp cut his sleeve, ripping flesh. Crying out, Blake lost his balance and bounced against the wheelchair before hitting the floor, his attacker going with him, landing on top of him. Teeth turned his defending hands into ribbons. The snapping mouth pulled back, then lunged again, and pain as hot as flame shot through the minister's chest, his shoulders blinding him with agony, blood bathing him, and the face above him, oh God, now it was coming for him again. What happened next, Blake would only make sense of long after he had come out of the coma in the hospital, long after the terrible events that were to come. The face above him rising again with something in its mouth. Flesh, his flesh, along with the silver cross Blake wore, swallowing it all whole. Then the great mouth descending again, this time for the killing blow, but stopping short as his attacker suddenly reared back, reached for its throat, then fell backward, the body writhing as if from a seizure twisting once, twice, followed by a rush of blood from its mouth, managing one plaintive cry before the writhing stopped and Blake's attacker lay still. For one long moment, Hardesty lay on his back in shock, feeling something warm and wet on his chest and arms. Then Margaret Hawes appeared above her son's body, whispering, Kenny, then louder, Kenny, then Kenny shouting the name over and over. She turned to Hardesty, her lips stretched back to reveal uneven teeth, the razor still in her hand, coming up as somewhere in the background the baby cried bloody murder. It killed him, she hissed. It killed my son. And there was nothing he could do as she lifted the tiny weapon up higher, then brought it down toward his throat to finish what her son had started. He heard a gunshot, and the razor missed its mark as blood sprayed from Margaret Haas's back and she landed on top of him, her glazed eyes inches from his own. As figures leaned over them, lifting her off him, and as Detective Frank Torrance said Blake's name over and over, he felt a warm darkness overtake him. And, thankful for its intervention, he went away for a while. 